You're listening to the Names Not Numbers podcast with me, Julia Hobsbawm of Names Not Numbers and Editorial Intelligence in association with the Financial Times. Well, good morning and welcome to the Britain Studio at Slate Hauntings, home of Albury Music. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the background to Benjamin Britten and three things that I think are interesting to the conversations that you've been having during this wonderful event. I'm assuming that some of you know a bit about him and some of you probably know very little about him. But some of you have heard some of his music and either quite like it or really like it, and some of you have heard some of his music and perhaps don't like it. Um, so this year is a hundred years since Britain was born, and um, to start with a few little facts about him to give you the context, he was born in Suffolk and lived and worked here for all but six years of his life, so he was very much a Suffolk man. And in his lifetime, he became that very rare thing, an incredibly successful classical composer. Um, his career was launched in a slightly unlikely way, really. In, in the late part of the Second World War, he wrote an opera called Peter Grimes, which is set in Albra. It's about a sadistic fisherman whose apprentices seem to disappear in mysterious circumstances. And um, it seems a rather unlikely candidate to be a huge success in the, in the weeks and months following the Second World War, but a huge success it was. And within three years, it had been performed in about 14 different countries uh, in 30 cities, which if you think how shattered the Western world was at that point, is a quite remarkable thing. And of course, the opera is set in the town, and you over the last couple of days have seen the real locations and places where that opera takes place. Later on in his life, he wrote a piece when uh, Coventry Cathedral was rebuilt. Um, it was his anti-war piece, The War Requiem. It sold 300,000 LPs in the first year of release alone. Today, any artist would be thrilled to sell 300,000 copies of anything in the first year. Um, Britain lived for most of his adult life in a relationship with the singer Peter Pierce. And in fact, he was the, they were the first publicly recognized gay couple in this country. When Britain died, if you think that um, homosexuality was illegal until the late 1960s, when Britain died in 1976, the Queen, for the first time, wrote a letter of condolence to a gay person. And Britain also, as well as being a great composer, left an extraordinary legacy uh, you've just tasted a little bit of that legacy in that, in that video. Um, but one of the things he did was found the Albra Festival 65 years ago in the Jubilee Hall, uh, where he spent some of the last couple of days. Uh, and he founded Albra Music, this amazing campus here at Snake Maltings. This is one of four concert halls here. When you go to lunch later on, you'll, you'll see that the original concert hall built in 1967 and he also founded a huge endeavour here in talent development, um, really something unlike anywhere else. Programmes that support talented musicians from eight years upwards. And in fact, some of you will have heard Sarah uh, on Sunday in Albra Cinema. I don't, think, well, I don't think any of you knew that actually she's only 15. Um, and she's a really one of many very remarkable young musicians who we're lucky enough to meet uh, at Albra Music. Um, in the 21st century, he is internationally the most performed opera composer who was born in the 20th century. Um, 
And he's British, and that's quite unusual because opera is not thought of as a British art form. In a typical year, there are about 200 performances of his music in about 30 cities around the world. And a totally trivial fact, um, 155 people have chosen him on Desert Island Discs. Um, 155, which is quite close to Julia's figure of a maximum of 150 friends, but that's a totally irrelevant. Um, his centenary, uh, there are at the moment about 2,000 events in 39 countries around the world. I think it's quite hard for us British to realise that here is a great international composing figure. Um, I think in this country we think of great British composers as being Britain, Elgar, perhaps Paul Williams, um, but Britain's reputation internationally is streaks ahead. Um, Albra Music and our sister organisation, Britain Pierce Foundation, we're investing £10 million in the centenary, including a new archive in Albra. But also, the centenary is going to be honoured in all sorts of other ways. He's going to be the first composer to appear on a 50p coin. Um, he's going to appear on a stamp. He's going to appear on a special beer from Adnams called Native Britain. And I'm really thrilled to announce that Aspel are going to do a special cider in his honour as well. Um, and performances, as I say, will take place all over the world, including Noah's Flood in Beijing, uh, the Brazilian premiere of Midsummer Night's Dream somewhere in the Amazonian jungle, and the War Requiem being performed in Nigeria. Um, so I'm going to now just move on to three things um, that, that were very important to his life that I think are quite interesting. So, um, in 1951, he wrote this. He wrote, Suffolk, the birthplace and inspiration of Constable and Gainsborough, the loveliest of English painters, the home of George Crabbe, that most English of poets. Suffolk, with its rolling, intimate countryside, its heavenly Gothic churches, big and small, its marshes with those wild seabirds, its grand ports and its little fishing villages. I am firmly rooted in this glorious county. And I proved this to myself when I once tried to live somewhere else. Even when I visit countries as glorious as Italy, as friendly as Denmark or Holland, I'm always homesick and glad to get back to Suffolk. I treasure these roots, my Suffolk roots. Roots are especially valuable nowadays, when so much we love is disappearing or being threatened, when there is so little to cling to. Roots are especially valuable nowadays, when so much we love is disappearing or being threatened, when there is so little to cling to. That is a sentiment that we understand very well in 2013. He was saying that in 1951, which I find quite surprising. But it's had a huge influence on his work and the legacy that he's left here, um, including, including Aubrey Music. And in fact, during the centenary, we're celebrating those roots in all sorts of ways, including um, the rather probably mad idea of doing his opera Peter Grimes on Aubrey Beach. The second thing I want to talk to you about um, is Britain's Holy Triangle. Now, this is probably a little bit early in the morning for this kind of thing. It looks a bit technical. But if you look at the blue triangle there, uh, the three corners of the triangle say performer, public, and composer. This is what he said. He said, a musical experience needs three human beings, at least. It requires a composer, a performer, and a listener. And unless these three take part together, there is no musical experience. The experience will be that much more intense and rewarding if the circumstances correspond to what the composer intended. Now, 
This is a really interesting idea, I think, because basically he was saying you can't just have a performer and a listener, because if you don't think about the composer, if you don't think about where they were, what were the circumstances that they were writing in, um, what, was, what was the venue that they were writing for, what were they trying to say, unless the, the listener and the performer are thinking about those things, you don't have a meaningful uh, musical experience. And I think that, again, is a very um, present idea for the 21st century. I mean, to use a, a completely different analogy of that, to come back to um, Henry Cider, um, if you go into a shop now, you don't just go in and say, I want a bottle of cider. You want to know who made that cider, where did it come from, what were the, what were the orchards like, what was the person who devised that cider thinking about. And I think that's, that's again, a very, um, a very important idea that Britain was thinking about many years ago that is still very relevant today, and I think very relevant um, to some of the conversations that we've been having over the last couple of days. And lastly, um, Britain and the community. He said in 1968, I believe that an artist should be part of his community, should work for it, with it, and be used by it. Now, long before education was a buzzword in the arts, Britain was very involved in the idea of musical education. In fact, in the first concert, in the first Albra Festival, he premiered St Nicholas, which was for children, uh, um, a professional orchestra, professional singers, and in fact involved audience particip participation. This was his firm belief. And in, in, in 2013, as part of the Britain Centenary, um, we've devised this project that we're incredibly excited about called Friday Afternoons. Um, Friday Afternoons is a, a set of ten children's songs that he wrote. And um, his anniversary is Friday the 22nd of November 2013. And we had a very simple idea of let's get as many children as we can on the centenary date to sing some or all of those songs. And to cut a long story short, this idea has just gone viral. Uh, it's now a national project. When we were asked a few months ago by the Arts Council how many children will take part, we've, we estimated over 100,000. In the last weeks, it's actually gone global as the British Council have said, yes, we want to do this and promote it internationally. So we think that's going to be a wonderful legacy for 2013, and we're delighted that you're all here to be a part of the centenary in some way. We hope you come back during the year. And I'm now going to hand over to Ben Page and Helena Kennedy. That was the Names Not Numbers podcast. There are many more on namesnotnumbers.com. Thank you for listening.